0: It was a friend request that did it. It was an alert from his Facebook account, the cheerful profile picture of the man whose store he'd broken into and robbed. The man was kissing his dog in the photo and now he's asking to be a Facebook friend. The teenager broke down. 15 minutes after getting the request, he messes the store owner Stefan Tejerson of Gimli, Manitoba, Canada, and told the older man that he was going to turn himself into the authorities. The incredible turn of events began on a Friday when Tejerson arrived at the general store his family has run for more than a century and discovered that someone had smashed a window with a tire iron and stolen several watches and a few other things. Gimli is a tiny, tiny rural community, 6,000 people an hour north of Winnipeg, and this A 117-year-old shop to Gerson and Sons is much loved in this community. And so when the owner found a clip of the surveillance footage that showed the alleged thief's face, he posted it to his social media accounts. Seemingly, the entire town took up the cause. The video was shared more than 8,000 times in 24 hours. Half a dozen people said they knew the teenage boy in the surveillance footage and gave the owner his name. And before turning to the police, Taderson turned to Facebook. He sent a friend request and waited for a reply. Five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. He saw the friend request from me, which must have been a bit startling, To Taderson said. I only wish I could have seen his face. I guess he realized, you know, he was done for at that point and he would better start backpedaling quickly, end quote. On Monday, he turned himself in along with everything that he was stolen from the store. Quote, I couldn't live with what I did and I'd be returning everything the thief wrote in a Facebook message to him. I'm willing to face the consequences and I couldn't be more sorry for what I did. We've all heard of the Scottish proverb, confession is good for the soul. It's usually associated with the Bible, but we don't find it anywhere in scripture. Although those exact words don't come up, the sentiment is very much there. Confession does release pressure, although it doesn't always relieve consequences. But forgiveness makes all the difference for those that find it in God. How do we live in this world as forgiven sinners? How can we make it through a day and the next knowing that we sin, that we break God's commandments, that we mock him with our thoughts and our actions and our words? How can we as Christians who are washed with the blood of Jesus even still sin. And what do we do with sin? How do, how do we deal with sin? Paul teaches us that we still sin for we do the things that we don't want to do. He says in Romans seven fifteen, for I do not understand my own actions for I do not what I want but what I do the very thing I hate. You and I do the things we hate. We, we think of ourselves more than we think of God. And as Christians, we want to obey and yet we, we can be swayed into sin. And so how do we deal with this? Why can't God just send us a Facebook friend request to wake us up? Why do we make it so difficult in ourselves trying to hide, trying to gloss over sin, trying to continue to cover ourselves? How can we have freedom from the guilt of sin? How can we live as forgiven sinners? Well, that's my task this morning, and I want to encourage us from God's word to live in this world as forgiven sinners. And so I want you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 32. And we're gonna learn from King David. And I wanna read the text this morning and then I'm gonna pray. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be some place there under the seats. I encourage you to turn to that. If you're not turned and open and looking at the Bible, you're gonna get lost really easy. So, I'm just gonna help you out. Have the Bible open. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, it's on page 432 and 433. And if you're unfamiliar looking at the Bible, the large numbers are the chapter numbers, the small numbers are the verse numbers. And it's a rather short Psalm, just 11 verses. So I'm gonna read and I ask you just follow with me as I read Psalm 32, starting at verse one. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with an eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curved with bit and and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart." Father, we all come to the cross the same way. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. We are sinners and because of Jesus Christ, if we've trusted in him, we are washed and we are new and we are forgiven. Help us, Father, to live that way. Help us this morning to learn from your word, to apply it to our hearts and our lives. Open our ears, unclog our hearts, soften us, convict us, God, we pray, amen. This psalm is broken up with dialogue that David has about his sin and the effects of sin on his life and how God leads him to live a holy life and It could be divided up in a myriad of different ways, but I've decided to to share in three different stages there. If you got notes and you came in, you see the outline. But first, I want to talk about David's sin and its effects. And second, his confession. And third, his counsel to us. So his sin, his confession, and his counsel. First, David's sin. David is just like us. He's human just like us. David is one of the most beloved men in the Old Testament The story of David and Goliath is probably the most well-known story in our culture, but the story of David and his sin with Bathsheba is probably most remembered about this king. David was a sinner, a great sinner, who did one of the most wicked things imaginable. David stayed home while other kings went out to battle, and when he did, he was tempted to sin by lustfully looking at Bathsheba. You can read about it later in 2 Samuel 11 and 12, but in this story, David abuses his power and calls for her, and they sleep together. He took advantage of her. He used his position as king to go and take what he wanted. And when she became pregnant, David then develops a a devilish plan to have her husband murdered on the battlefield. It's a story of pure wickedness and betrayal and temptation and lust and weakness and succumbing to sin. And God takes this man, David, and exposes his sin to him and for us to read so that we might not sin. And if we do, we know how to confess and repent from our sin. David writes three psalms about this sin with Bathsheba and its consequences. And and Psalms, as you know, is a book of poetry. 150 are written there. A majority are written by the poet, David. And here, Psalm 32, we read of David reflecting back on his sin and confession and forgiveness. There's also, if you want to read later, there's two other Psalms. There's Psalm 38, and this is the first one of his writings right after his sin is exposed by the prophet Nathan. And it's raw and an open explanation of the trauma of sin and then we can read also of Psalm 51, which is the second written of his full confession. This is the third Psalm. It's, it's a reflection back about his sin and its consequences. And we perhaps haven't sinned like David with adultery and then murder, but we've all sinned in thought in word and deed. And we all stand guilty before God. As I said earlier, the ground is leveled for the cross. So we all can relate to this psalm because we all have guilt about our past and anxiety about our future. We all battle this in different ways, but we all can relate. And this psalm deals with both of these things. This this book, this, this Bible is a very old book, but it has something new for us every time we open it. And remembering our past sins and our shortcomings can hinder our walk today if we, we dwell in it and are unwilling to confess it and forsake it. And our future, not knowing what lies ahead, but knowing like Paul that sin, our flesh, still lingers in the crevices of our lives, can, can also handcuff us. And So this, this psalm very much applies to every single one of us here this morning. We all can relate with David. Now David begins here in verse 1 talking about the blessed one and this this isn't someone who's sinless he's talking about himself we already know he's not sinless and so the blessed one is the person who knows their sin and has confessed it repented of it to live for god not themselves he says in verse one and two blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered blessed is the man against whom the lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose, whose sin and iniquity. There are three different ways of de- declaring sin here in the text, and they're all different Hebrew words for, for the word sin. In fact, sin is so radical, an offense to God, that, that the Holy Spirit uses 15 different Hebrew words in the Old Testament to describe sin. But here David uses three, and, and so we could jet off into a deep thorough discussion on the differences between these Hebrew words, and that would maybe be a cool study. But he's talking about sin. That's the point he's saying. I sinned. He's guilty of sin. But there's a problem with the psalm, and there's a problem with the sermon about sin. Because we don't like to talk about sin. In fact, our culture, for sin, it's sort of a joke. Advertisers, for example, always promote things like chocolate or lingerie with the word sin, right? It's sinful. And the, word, the world buys it up and laughs at it. It becomes lighthearted. And whenever we begin to talk about sin, like the Bible talks about sin, people become nervous. People don't want to talk about sin. They, they don't want to think about sin. In fact... How dare we talk about it at all? Because we could possibly make someone feel guilty. And that's the worst thing you can do today, is make people feel guilty, to trigger them. What's good for me is good for me, and what's good for you is good for you, so let's just move on. But the Bible talks a lot about sin. And it goes to great lengths to describe sin and the effects of sin, and it uses people... As its prime example on almost every page, sin is rebellion, to revolt against the lawful author of life. Sin is shortcomings, it's a missing the mark, it's to fall short. Sin is distortions, to be crooked, to be twisted, to be warped. Sin is deceptions, to be cunning, to be insincere, to be fraudulent. And sin wants you to think less of what it is, sin wants you to discount it and its impact on your life. Sin is always acting, always conceiving, and always seducing and tempting, John Owen writes. And so we cannot, as Christians, hide from sin or the discussion of sin. We need to face it. Because as Christians, we are the only people on the planet who can talk about sin and not walk away completely dejected and destroyed. Because we know the one who conquered sin and who left us with himself to live inside of us so that we don't have to yield to sin. And in the psalm this morning, David is preaching to us and he's using his own life. He's a forgiven sinner. He is forgiven, which means his sin has been lifted off. David writes to us in Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he, God, remove our transgressions from us. Isaiah 118 says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Did you get snow at your house this week on Thursday? supposed to get more this week. And I sat in my office on Thursday and reminded of a Spurgeon quote. I put it on Facebook. It says, The next time you see snow white crystals falling from heaven, look on them and say, Ah, though I must confess within myself that I am unworthy and unclean, yet believing in Christ, He hath given me His righteousness so completely that I am even whiter, whiter than the snow as it descends from the treasury of God. David says, I am blessed because I've been forgiven. My sin has been covered. What an amazing declaration. The the burden of his sin had been taken up and carried away. Like Christian from John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, when he came to the end with his back breaking from the load of sin and came to the cross and suddenly felt the burden roll off. The, the, The mountain of his sin was now covered, concealed by God. And Spurgeon says, what a cover must that be which hides away forever from the sight of an all-seeing God, all the filthiness of the flesh of the spirit. Oh, what a cover that must be. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. Forgiven sinners are, are blessed and happy because God is not counting. He's not holding their sin against them. God's forgiveness is deep and is thorough. His knife of mercy cuts at the roots of the weed of sin and removes any trace. And the person who can anticipate God's forgiveness is the person whose spirit there is no deceit. Now this doesn't mean that they're perfect because there's only one person that's perfect and it's, it's not us. No, this is talking about the fact that when their conscience is pricked with, with their sin, they confess it openly and completely. There isn't any reservations in their confession. It's full and free. There's no deceit. And and the worst and most destructive kind of deceit is self-deceit. And I recognize that there are some who have never learned how to confess their sins. They're walking through the motions of confession without really confessing. They're stubborn. They're unthinking. They are the horse and mule that David says later here in verse 9. There are some, I, I've counseled them in the past. They come into my office and they're broken because it happened again. Life has, has now turned for them and they've hit rock bottom and things have fallen apart and, and, and things are horrible and they desperately need help right now. And, and they say all the things of confession and they're, and they're semi-open about their sins and they, they say they're sorry, but eventually it would be found out that they're only sorry for the consequences of their sin. They aren't sorry for sin. They don't see their sin as a grievous thing. They don't see the depth of the hurt and pain that their sin has caused in their life and the life of others. They are the horse and mule without understanding and they're full of self-deceit. They don't see the blackness of their sin. They only see the danger of sin. They they only see the inconvenience of sin, the impracticality of sin. And so they never truly change because they never truly confess their sin. They're self-deceived. But the only way to freedom is to have honesty about our sin. No more deceit, no more hiding, no more lying. To tell the truth about yourself. And David knew and felt the consequences of not confessing his sin. See it there in verse 3? For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. When David kept it to himself, he was destroyed. And you can try to keep your sin under wrap, friends, you can try to stonewall God, but your sin will eat you alive. You will waste away either physically or emotionally, most definitely spiritually. And what a destructive thing sin is. Sin is a horrible servant and a terrible master. Sin always lies to us, sin always deceives us. Sin always says, just hold on to me for a little longer and the pain will go away. Sin always tries to hide itself as something desirable and fulfilling. Even though you have a moment of pleasure, it flees just as quickly as that snow melted this week. Because sin over promises and under delivers every time. And every sin that you and I have is the same at its root as the sin of David here in this psalm A kind of pride, a kind of unbelief about God. And what sin wants is to have control over us. Friends, is there some sin that you are in danger of having control over all of your life right now? Some hidden master behind the curtain of your life just pulling the strings, controlling you, calling the shots? see it's it sins nature to control you it wants to have master over you and perhaps by God's providence and grace you sit here under the preaching of God's word and God will use this text this morning to prick your conscience of your sin that's been lingering in the shadows you've been discounting it you've been pushing down your conscience, trying to ignore it. But God won't let it any longer. A heavy conscience can be torture. And we see it here in the text. And listen, friends, your conscience will discharge itself fully, either in this life when there's a Savior, or in the next on that last day when you stand before the judge. Your conscience will be a witness against you. And it's in your best interest, friends, for your conscience to discharge itself fully now, today. Today in this life. There is no outward action or womb fuzzy feeling, there's no singing or giving in the offering, there's no service at church or sitting in Sunday school classes that can take away your sins. It is only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Your good thoughts about God and yourself will not save you. Your good attendance cannot clean you. And if you are here this morning and your conscience has been pierced, you need to confess your sin to God. And you need to do it today. Don't wait. Don't put it off. Do it right now while I'm preaching. Confess your sins to God. He is an amazing God. He can hear your confession and hear my preaching at the same time. And so let David be an example for you. If you see sin, don't sit on it, go to God. That's David's sin. Second is his confession. There's a heavy burden when we know our sin and refuse to confess it. David says in verse 4, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. And this is what sin does, my friends. Unconfessed sin, it dries us up. It, It squelches life from our limbs and it wipes us. We become less and less living when we harbor sin. And God loves us too much to let us continue in this way. And if God's finger can, can have such tremendous pressure on us, I wonder what his hand feels like. Unconfessed sin is an incredible burden on people, weighing them down mentally and emotionally. Unconfessed sin dries you up as if you're in the heat of summer. It squelches energy from you. And it's useless to hide your sin from God because God always knows. You cannot hide your sin Hiding your sin is like playing hide and seek with my four year old who just gets on the floor and covers her head. It doesn't work. David knows this intimately, and he's turning to God. It's like David is recounting this experience for others, and his mind naturally just turns to God, who's the one who rescued him out of the suffering. And he says in verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you and it did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach you. Friends, I know conviction of sin is not fun, but it's necessary. Just like practice isn't supposed to be fun. Homework is is not fun, can I get an amen from the students here? It's not fun, it's not supposed to be. Working out, at least for me, is not fun. Running is not fun. But it brings about the result that's needed. Conviction of sin is there to draw us back into holy living. Conviction is what, you brought, what brought you to faith at the very beginning. Perhaps, though, there are even some here this morning that believe that they're good, that they're fine. And they believe in God and all, but they'll deal with him later. You perhaps are sitting here thinking you're doing fine, and you're going to wait till you're older to deal with God. Things are going well in your life, so you're convinced that you're fine. And so you're gonna wait until you're a little older and you'll deal with it when you're more mature. Or perhaps you even think that after death, then you'll take care of things. But friends, scripture doesn't promise you that option. It may be too late then. You see it there in verse six? Therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. You may not always have the time, my unbelieving friends, to confess your sins and repent and turn in Christ. And I mean this sincerely and genuinely. I hope this unsettles you. I have been praying that this thought would haunt you today. That it would crowd your mind that you can't focus on anything else. And I mean it with love. He says, at a time when you may be found. And some may say, well, I don't know what that means. I thought you could find God anytime you want, that he's everywhere, that I have any opportunity, that I have any moment to come to him. I can find him on my drive to work or when I'm going on a hike. That's why I come to church whenever I feel like it and I don't feel bad about myself. I can get God whenever and wherever I want to. And while it's true, God is omnipresent, It's not true that you can put it off and keep on rejecting him and believe that he'll just show up at any moment your heart desires when you're finally ready. Friends, we don't have that promise in Scripture. Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And you may be shocked, but that's littered throughout the Bible. You won't always be able to find God. Some of you have taken God for granted. And so, friends, when the call to repentance and confession hits you square between the eyes and you feel the fresh conviction in your heart, you need to do it right then. Don't put it off. Do not delay. Because in verse 6, David is warning you this morning to not put off your confession and turning to God. It is his God who cares and loves for us, who reigns on high, who sent his own Son to open up his veins. And from his wounds comes just a rising torrent of his blood to wash away our sins. It is grace, grace upon grace that Jesus came for us, friend. And I implore you to turn from your sins and to turn and trust in him alone and to do it today, to don't put it off, don't delay, don't talk yourself out of it. To find myself or another elder this morning, we'd love to sit and talk with you. And for my Christian friends this morning, the same is the same as for you in confession. There's, there's never a bad time to offer a prayer of confession for your sin. And David says here that he acknowledges that he, he did not cover and confess his sin. All three are communicating the same thing. He recognized his sin fully when the prophet Nathan came and confronted him. And aren't you thankful for the ministry of those who know us and are willing to step into the cage with us knowing that they might get punched or bit, but they're there to show us our sin. That's Nathan. And you and I need more friends like this. This is one of the reasons why the church exists. And perhaps some of you need to spend this afternoon searching your hearts for any wicked way in you. You know, God promises to show you your sin. And, friend, he seems more ready to forgive our sins than we're ready to confess. Perhaps some of you need to spend this afternoon in confession of sin to those closest to you, your spouse, your kids. And I'll speak directly to the youth that are here. Perhaps some of you need to spend some time thinking through this because you continue to fool your parents while you hide your sin. Your parents may not know, but God does. Your sin is not hidden to him. And I mean it sincerely. I hope that unnerves you. and you feel the weight of your sin and you sense the discomfort in your life and you continue to try to muscle your way through life, thinking that the guilt will fade. And that pain you feel in your soul, that weight you feel. Friends, that is God's good gift to you. That's conviction and it's there to draw you to God Don't ignore it. Don't develop a life that ignores God. Embrace it. Lean into God. Confess your sins. And Spend the afternoon confessing your sin and talk to your mom and dad. They love you. They want to help you walk with God. But don't ignore God's conviction in your life. Don't push away the conviction of sin. It is God's gracious gift to us. And friends, don't assume that God will continue to bring conviction of sin. But obey David's words here and seek the Lord while he may be found. Don't assume, do not leave this place and assume that you will even be able to recognize your sin in the future. That you'll even have the same concern over your sin in the future. You don't have that promise in scripture. But right now, with the Holy Spirit's help in your life, you may be feeling the weight of your sin in a way that you won't feel next month or next year. So don't ignore God's work in your life. Your attempt to cover your sins by yourself means that your sins will never truly be covered by God. So don't do it. Don't go that way. Psalm 95, write this one down. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Proverbs 28, 13, write this one down. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Do you want to be blessed as David is blessed in this? Friends, today is the day to confess your sins to God this morning. Don't delay. Don't neglect this gift that God has given you. Because if you delay, you won't experience what David does next. You see, David knew of the blessing of confession that's why he writes for us in verse 7 you are my hiding place for me you preserve me from trouble you surround me with shouts of deliverance and this is exactly who God is he is our hiding place he is the one who preserves us and keeps us he is the one who delivers us out of the pit And friends, only the forgiven sinner can say this. Only the one who has found his righteousness, not in himself, but in Christ alone. Only the one who has confessed his sins can echo these words. Verse 7 is a result of confession of sin. And the greatest deliverance that you and I will ever need in this life and ever have in this life is deliverance from the penalty of sin. And the gospel of substitution makes God to be our refuge who would otherwise have been our judge. That's an astounding thought. That is incredible news. So friends, when it comes to confession, delay just brings discouragement and despair. Do not delay confessing your sins. Don't, think that a week from today would be better. That's a lie. That's a lie from the pit of hell. It would not be better. Do not delay confessing your sins. The road that we see in verse three of his bones wasting away to the shouts of deliverance that we see in verse seven is paved by an honest confession. And so do not delay. Do not ignore God's word for you this morning, friends. So we've seen David's sin and his confession and last is David's counsel. David's counsel. The last four verses of the psalm, it seems as though David's moving, is about speaking about his sin and confession. Then he's to the Lord speaking here. The Lord speaking to David and, and then him preaching to others. Verse eight and nine says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curved with a bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. And this is teaching here that David is giving us. This is wisdom. It's the good way and the bad way. And the good way he lays out is what he has told us in the first seven verses thus far. This is the way that God would have us and have his children walk. Not only has God given us forgiveness for our past, he's given us wisdom and guidance for our future. And the Lord delights to teach his children how to walk in his ways. He is the great overseer whose providential eye sees everything. And God doesn't treat us like animals is what he's saying here in verse nine. That's that's why we have a book and that's why we can read and discern it and apply it to our life. That's, That's why it's good to come and sit under the teaching and preaching of God's word because he doesn't treat us like animals. He brings a preacher and he brings the word and the congregation listens and applies it to their life. And we're not here at church to try to figure out how we can gain favor with God. That's not why we're here. we're spiritually dead and the creator of the entire universe has given us life and has spoken to us and he's given us his word to teach us and to guide us and to lead us and so we need to listen to it. We need to heed and do what God's word says and he's a caring God who will not leave us, He will not forsake us and we are called to a, a wonderfully different life than those that are not following after him. Look at verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. It's, it's like sin to promise sweetness and pleasure forever, but then right after we taste it, sorrows come and overwhelm us. Sin overpromises and underdelivers every time. But then God's word comes into our life, and it seems hard at first. But then we see the sweetness of our Savior as He leads us and guides us into life everlasting, and we know this is the the way. We know that this is w- what we were made for. To follow Him. And all that worldly pleasure passes so quickly and is forgotten, but His love surrounds us. As we trust in Him alone. And. and And who are the righteous in verse 11? Well, those are his children. Those that have confessed their sins, repented of their trust in themselves and have turned in faith towards God. The righteous are not some super spiritual do-gooders, no, they're Christians who are following God. They are forgiven sinners. And he says we're to rejoice, to shout for joy for what the Lord has done in your life and the future that awaits you. that's psalm 32 and i want to wrap it up you know you don't have to say anything to reject god's grace in your life just keep ignoring it and suppress the desire to confess don't own up to your sins don't don't say about your sins what god says just keep silent And your sins won't be forgiven you. They won't be covered. And they will be counted against you. Have you considered what that would mean? Christians, have you ever thought what life would look like if you'd never been saved? If you'd never confessed your sin to God and turned to Him? what would life look like today? If I wasn't a Christian, I would be under the wrath of God right now and would be eternally. This life becomes horrible and the next becomes unimaginable. The threat of death at any moment comes and bears down its weight upon my soul. There is this ever-present awareness that a God will face me And there will be no one who will stand with me. No one who will represent me. It's as if I was to be arrested tomorrow and hauled into court and to stand before the judge and have no lawyer, no representation. But that on that day, in my sins, I stand as a human being before an all-knowing God. There would be no maneuvering by myself, no leveraging the law in my favor, the law instead stands as a witness against me with the exhausting list of all my sins. There would be no new evidence to enter in for my favor. There would be no new witnesses to stand on my behalf. I am guilty, undeniably guilty, before a holy and just God. And if I'm left in my sins, I deserve the full weight of punishment. There would be no joy in my life, no peace, No rest for me. Instead, there will be a torturous, nagging guilt that would surround my thoughts at every turn. All the world knows I'm guilty. All of my friends know I'm guilty. All of my family, all of my neighbors, and especially God knows I'm guilty. And I'll stand in my sin. And the judgment will be so strong that I won't be able to stand any longer. I'll be brought down. And I'll forever bear the weight of my sins with no reprieve, no release, no pause, no time out for good behavior, no exemptions, an eternity of punishment for the sins that I willfully embraced and jumped into committing. That is what my future holds, unless there's a thing called forgiveness. Do you see why David rejoices here in the psalm? Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. How can God not count our iniquity against us and yet be just. Now, this is a theme we read about through the Old Testament. Exodus 34. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. What? 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 How can Exodus 34 and Psalm 32 both be true? And friends, let me tell you, this is why it's crucial for you to understand who you are and who God is and how God deals with sin. And it's vitally important for you to read the Bible every single day. This is my new hobby horse. Every day, friends, even on Sunday before you go to church. You eat, don't you? Every day? Do you eat just some days? We eat every day. At least I do. We need the Bible even more than that. And we need to make time for it. We need to get up a little earlier. We need to dig into the word. And when you read the Bible, especially Old Testament, you begin to see how a holy God is going to deal with sin and disobedience and defiance. And you see time and time and time again, he's going to send a rescuer. He sends help. And you read in the Old Testament of God's people who are again and again helpless and guilty, and God delivers them. And if you've been on this journey with us, as we've preached through different books, the last few years at EBC, we've seen it time and again through the Old Testament. We, we looked at it a few years ago. And we looked at the book of Ruth. And what do we find there? A kinsman redeemer who comes and rescues, not necessarily Ruth, but Naomi. She's the focus of the book and brings about salvation for her, redemption for the one who is helpless and guilty. And we saw it over and again in 1 Samuel when God provides for his people. When the ark was captured, God provides when they faced the armies of the Philistine, God provides. When the people wanted a king, God provides, and He takes these helpless and guilty people, and He provides over and over again. Again, looking forward, and we saw it again in Genesis, right? With Joseph, God provides, and we saw it last month in Isaiah nine with the coming child to rescue people from their sin. God provides. And so don't read your Bibles. It's just some haphazard conglomerate of stories just to fill the pages. No, this is a book that is marvelously written by a perfect, all-knowing God, inspiring humans humans to put into words and teaching us again and again of who God is and how we're going to be saved. And it's a story pointing somewhere to someone, to the rescuer, And so when David says, blessed is a man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, he's preaching the gospel to us. He's not discounting God's justice. He's not shortchanging it. The glorious good news is that our sins haven't just vanished because of confession. They don't just fade into the mist or fall off the cliff. David looked forward to the one who would bear our sins. And you read right here in this psalm of David's faith in God. If you want to look further, look at Romans 4, who Paul quotes this psalm that our sins were nailed to the cross and Jesus bore them. And God is just because he executed his justice on his son who stood on our behalf. Jesus stood in our place. And so when we're confronted with our sin, we can remember what Christ did for us in that cross. And we're going to sing about that in a few moments. Because we're going to sing it as well with my soul. And that third line always gets me. And I hope, friends, my Christian friends here, that you will sing it as loud as I will. He says, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. And as Ryan read this morning in Colossians 2, and you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands that he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Praise be to God who sent his son Jesus to take our sins and to make us righteous. Would you stand with me now? I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna sing. Father, we thank you for this psalm. God, I thank you for your word that has had its way with me this week. Your word shows us ourselves. It is that mirror that shows us who we are. It is always faithful to show us exactly who we are. And it shows us what you've done for us. Thank you, Father, for sending your son to redeem us, to purchase us from the penalty of sin. Thank you, God, for grace in bringing us into a Christian church that we can hear your word and that you convict us. And I pray for those that are here that are under the weight of conviction this morning. That you would do your work in their heart. That you would bring fruit from this morning for your honor And for your glory alone, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.